Uh, we're in the book. Of, didn't get one. Larry, we'll make sure you get. Are those out back by you? The pile of them. Okay. So the Davises are coming in. They may need one. So you guys need a handout back there. The Davises, two for two. All right. If you're joining us online, we're glad that we got anyone online tonight. Okay. So um, we got an awesome team back there, man, in the AV system. And Susan's uh, chatting in the chat box, I'm sure. So uh, we're glad that you're online. Bobby Blaine, if you're out there, you can find the notes and what have you. You got people waving at you. You're like popular. And uh, and so um, uh, the notes are already online on our listen page under Revelation. Tonight's already up other than this video. So you can go there, download those, print them out, and follow along. Uh, and it's a lot less sheets this week than last week. Last week was seven pages. This week it's just a two-sider, so no big deal. So um, so we're Revelation chapter 1. We're going to pick up the text in verse 7, but let's go ahead and just read through the text. Let the Word of God speak for itself. And uh, as you're turning to Revelation chapter 1, uh, I'll just remind you of what we're here to do. So um, we're going to learn what we need to know before we go because we're expecting the Lord any time. The, the return of Christ is imminent. Uh, and uh, we understand that. So our purpose here is to, as we study Revelation, is to understand the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is what the book is, so we can prepare ourselves to partake in its fulfillment. Um, I think, yeah, and this is what I often say when I teach this, and it's still true, uh, that to increase our understanding of who God is and intensify our urgency in ministering the gospel in these last days. That's also a goal I have uh, practically, is that the things that we learn from this um, the, this study will move us to actually get the gospel where it needs to go on time. So uh, how many of you know Jesus? Don't raise your hand. I hope because someone might not know Jesus. So just I hope we all know Jesus. But if you don't, ultimately all this is about that. you got to know Jesus because um, uh, he wants to reveal himself to us. And in this time of history, it is really important that we we really grasp hold of who Jesus is because not only is he coming, uh, and he is, but he's in us, right? If we're saved, we're born again, the Holy Ghost is in us. And that's one of the things that's lost on the church, right? In Revelation 3.20, uh, you guys know this passage, most of you. Uh, behold, after he gets through the whole wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, and I will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my Father in his throne. One of the great things about this passage in Revelation 3, 20 and 21 is that you can overcome the spirit of this age. You really can, and we need to do that. So uh, Jesus uh, is inviting us uh, to fellowship with him. So uh, is he welcome? Is he welcome in our hearts? Is he welcome uh, in our church? And that's what we want. Of course, I know that's what we want. So let's look at the text as a matter of fact, let's not just read. I'm going to read the whole chapter, even though I'm kind of short on time. I want to just let's look at the whole chapter and the whole intro um, in its entirety of Revelation chapter 1. Last week we got down to verse 7, so let's just review where we were. Revelation, right? Um, like at the title of mine, it says the revelation of St. John the Divine. But the text says the revelation of who? Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ. This is his revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, 
So he gave this to John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of the things that he saw. And we talked about that last week. The testimony, Revelation 19 and verse 10 is the his word is his testimony, just like your testimony is your word. You go to court, they put you on the stand, they say, we want to hear your testimony. And you swear that it's going to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. The problem is the only one that's, that's absolutely true is God. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the absolute standard. His word does not change, it doesn't deviate, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you can bank on his prophecy, you can bank on what he's teaching us, you can bank on what he says. So his testimony is huge. Verse 3, blessed is he that readeth. There's a blessing. We talked about this last week too. Blessed is he that readeth. So we need to teach this book. Some of you may come from a background in churches. Um, uh, I know I'm looking at Jeff back here. He comes from, before he was saved, he was a part of a church that says, don't read that book, right? It's just, it's just, just don't go there. You don't need to worry about it. But the Bible itself says, blessed is he that readeth. Even you're like, I can't understand Revelation. Okay, read it anyway. There's a blessing there. Uh, and, and he that heareth the words of this prophecy, you say, well, I'm illiterate. Well, listen, right? Alexander Scorby, or Brian, as I'm reading right now, and, uh, and, and uh, hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. There's some things here we need to hold fast to, like all of it. So John, verse 4, to the seven churches. This is who it's really to. The churches are stewarding this information. A lot of chatter on the Internet lately about uh, the role of the church in the tribulation period. I, I won't get into all that tonight, but I will be touching on all that all the way through. This this is given to the churches. Uh, but you don't, again, we don't see the church after Revelation chapter 3 um, until the end of the book. So that's what the book it has. But I'll move, I'm moving on. So, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which <clears throat> which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne, which is consistent through the whole Bible, and from Jesus Christ, who is faithful, uh, the, is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. Don't, don't skip over that. And, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds. We're going to pick up on that tonight in a moment. And every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him. Uh, who's, who was that? Well, us, because he died for our sins. Historically, it was. It was Rome. That's right. And the, and, uh, the Jews as well were partaking, partaking of that, but Rome was the one. And, the, and so uh, the Roman uh, centurions pierced him. Uh, but so did we, right? John stuck his hand in the side there in, Reve- in John chapter 20. And so, uh, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book 
and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, which is the key church, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. So tonight, we're only going to really work verses 7 through 11, and then next week we'll get into verses 12 through 20. He says, I turned and and to see a voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, verse 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, his feet like unto fine brass, as if they had burned in the furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Oh, man. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, so these these images that are so hard to discern, well, you're going to get the answer right here. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, well, here it is. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, when I read this passage uh, many years ago, in 1987, March of 1987, um, this was the beginning of of the end of me. As I read about Jesus Christ like this, I I don't know how many of y'all have an image. We just came out of Christmas, and we looked at baby Jesus, and I'm not making fun of that. Uh, You know, I know there's all the jokes with, uh, you know, uh, Talladega Nights and all that stuff. But in, in, in in reality, we do focus on the infant Jesus and his birth and and there's everything right with that his first advent's a big deal his incarnation is a huge deal so i'm not minimizing that at all um and then you know if you're an american probably not 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 maybe as much as it used to be but like in my generation uh, even if you didn't go to church you're going to be acquainted with the death of jesus christ when easter rolls around right on the calendar which is a great thing there's nothing wrong that's a great thing we should be acquainted with the the birth and the death of jesus christ and of course his resurrection so Okay, so okay, so just just give you a little my testimony, and why I, I love learning about Revelation and teaching Revelation is because this book isn't to me just about like head knowledge. This changed my life, it changed my heart, because as a as a lost young man, I'm reading this Bible and I'm reading Revelation chapter one, and I need to save this probably for next week, but just kind of as a primer, and I get to this last part of chapter one, and I see Jesus standing there like. Eyes flame of fire, feet like brass, you know, and I'm just like, whoa, this is not the Jesus that I've been like thinking about in my head for the last, at the time, 16.9 years, you know. Um, I'm like, this is like a different looking Jesus than what I'm used to. And then I just followed that on through, you know, as I kept reading. Then I saw angry Jesus. (laughs) And uh, then I saw angry Jesus and me with no advocate. Right, because Jesus isn't my advocate in Revelation. Once you get past chapter four, he ain't no, he's nobody's advocate but Israel's, you know. So, and I didn't understand all that anyway. So here I'm looking at Jesus coming, 
you know, bright-eyed, golden feet, the whole thing, and he's coming right at me, and I deserve every bit of it. And I want to hide in the rocks with all those kings of the earth and mighty men of the, on the planet, you know, that I'm reading about, and I'm like, what in the what? What am I going to do? I'm, I'm finally, I realize I'm lost. I didn't know what lost meant, technically, but I knew I was on the wrong side of Jesus' wrath. Let me put it that way. And it wasn't until then, and then, of course, somebody in the Spirit of God opened up the Bible and sharing the good news with me. Then, you better believe I appreciated the good news of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And when you read Revelation and you wonder, is Jesus alive? Yes, he's, he's more than alive. He's alive and in living color. So, uh, and so this is stuff that, who stewards this information? I've come to find out later, once I get saved, voila, it's all in the Bible, and in the church. So for the last 2,000 years, this glorious information about who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, the fact that he's alive, he's sitting, and not only what he's doing right now, but what he's going to do has been in our hands as a church. Uh, throughout the, and he used these seven churches, which represent, if you're in HBI, we're going through that right now, seven church ages. And so we'll touch on that a little bit as well. But for tonight, let's jump into your notes because time is of the essence, as I said. So let's jump into into the text, and uh, we already read that, so let's keep moving. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, before I get too far, let me do a little revelation review, uh, because uh, you some of you may not have been here last week. So what we saw last week in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, the point of, the, of this book is to reveal uh, Christ, when he, when, and, and we saw that the book was written in 91 to 96 A.D., to John on the Isle of Patmos, it's eternal in nature, not a cunningly devised fable. We saw the structure of Revelation and that overview of those seven, uh, uh, or not the seven chapters, but the overview of the book, Revelation 1 through 3, is written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Uh, 4 through 5 is John before the throne. Revelation 6 is the first look at the tribulation with the seven seals. And, uh, and uh, it also could include Revelation 4 through 5 if you want to label it that way. Revelation 7 deals with the 144,000 in heaven. We looked at Revelation 8 through 11, which is a second look at the tribulation period with the seven trumpets. Um, and then chapter 10 is a parenthesis. We saw Revelation 12 through 14, which is the third look at, at the tribulation with the seven personages. And Revelations 15 through 19 is the fourth look through the tribulation with the seven vials. And then we wrap it up with Revelation 20 through 22, which is millennium and eternity. And so, um, and so we also saw the different views of Revelation, meaning John's perspective is sometimes he's on heaven, sometimes he's on earth. We already saw that in chapter 1 in heaven in verses 1 through 8, but he's on earth in verse 9. Uh, and then he's in heaven again in verses 10 through 20. There's he's talking and uh, looking at Jesus with the golden candlesticks. So we just saw that. That continues, and I'm going to go back through that. If you have your notes from last week, you can look at all of those various uh, kind of ups and downs. So that helps you track through the book of Revelation. You're like, where am I? Where is he at? Well, sometimes he's in heaven, sometimes he's on earth, right? And so it helps you kind of as you understand how he oscillates between the two. The, sevens, uh, the seven sevens of Revelation, there's seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven personages, seven vials, seven dooms, seven new things, and there's more than that, but that's just the list I gave you. Seven sevens in Revelation. Then I talked about the accuracy of Revelation and Jesus Christ and the spirit of prophecy and all of those things. We also talked about the blessing, which we just point, I pointed out a minute ago in the introduction. We talked about the audience of Revelation, which who is the audience of Revelation? We just talked about it a second ago as well. 
Who was this given to other than John? John, okay, it was Jesus' revelation, and then he gave it to John, and then John gave it to seven churches, right? Ephesus and, and, and the seven churches of Asia Minor, Minor, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So those are historical churches. Uh, you know, have you ever seen drive through history? That dude goes from church to church. It's a really good little thing. I don't know if you can find it. I think it was on Discovery Channel. The dude would go from church to church historically, and he had all kinds of great information and insights. It's really good to watch. Uh, those were literal places, unlike the Book of Mormon. Uh, you can go to these places, and there are actually towns there, and there were actually literally churches. Um, and then there's, they are also doctrinally, they picture the seven church ages over the past 2,000 years. And prophetically, they, uh, there will be literal congregations uh, in, in the tribulation of, of uh, tribulation saints after the catching away of the church that will benefit also from uh, the reading of the book of Revelation. Okay, so the teacher of Revelation is the Spirit of God. Um, we see that in verse 4, right? This book is taught John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before the throne of God. We can go back to Isaiah 11 and look at those, and we did all of that last week. Uh, we also see the faithful and true witness. He's teaching us. Uh, Revelation 19, 11, uh, heaven opens up and there's a white horse, and he that sat upon him is called faithful and true. Jesus is teaching us this book through his spirit. The only begotten of the dead, Revelation 1, 5. The only begotten of the dead. Uh, and so uh, that is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is teaching us this book through his spirit, then we saw the hope of Revelation. We'll see him coming in the clouds, Revelation 1-7. And we looked at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. We're going to look at that a little bit more again tonight. And that's why we know the times and the seasons, Revelation 5-1. Right? The times and the seasons, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5-1, By the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, because we know what time it is. Um, we, know it is we don't know the day or the hour, but we know what time it is. Um, so we have a more uh, we have more information uh, than the apostle Paul had to work with, or the apostles, not the apostle Paul, but the apostles had to work with. In Acts one seven, as uh, Jesus was getting ready to ascend, uh, and I probably didn't dive down on this enough, and I'm about done with my review. So uh, last week because of time, but you know when you think about just turn in your Bible, I keep your finger in Revelation one, and go back to Acts chapter seven. I've seen a, I've seen actually preachers kind of mess this up in preaching before, and uh, they just weren't probably trained in the word enough. But when you get to Revel or Acts chapter one and verse seven, it says, "And I would and, and I said unto them, and he said unto them." So this is a response to Peter or the apostles. It says in verse five, "For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence." Um, and then in verse 6, it says, When they therefore were come together, they, the apostles, asked of him, saying, uh, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So their mind, right, they haven't read Larkin's Dispensational Truth yet. So, uh, and they haven't heard of Paul, right, who at this time was Saul of Tarsus. So 40 days out uh, from the resurrection, these are the questions they're asking. They're focused on the kingdom. And they know they got the king in front of them. Um, and this is what Jesus said. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Now, this isn't because they were not smarter than us. They probably were. But they didn't have the benefit of the New Testament. 
They didn't have Paul's writings. They didn't have Revelation, right? They're they're 60 plus years out from the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? They're, 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 They're Paul's conversion and ministry away from understanding the mystery of the gospel of grace. Right, so they don't, they're, they're, they're working with the information they had. Plus, it's still in, in motion as God is going to offer the kingdom to Israel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. And, of course, they reject it. So Paul, as he goes on the scene, writes the prophecy of Romans 9 through 11 and how God's going to deal with Israel uh, and restore them and keep his promises to Israel while still giving the church opportunity to fulfill their role. And then that is where we learn of the differences between the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, the spiritual and the physical, though that's all laid out for us in the Gospels, those things were not revealed until the Apostle Paul uh, came on the scene. Well, part of that revelation then is also the revelation of Jesus Christ given to us through John the Apostle. So we have more information than those guys had in, Revel- in Acts 1-7 because a lot of history hadn't happened, right? And we're on the other side of those things, and actually we're fin- finishing this thing out. And God needs us to have this information so we can run our race and finish our course with joy. But we do know the times and the seasons. I read it to you, First Thessalonians 5, 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. I didn't finish that. I, I would, let me finish off that next verse, First Thessalonians 5, uh, verse 2. And obviously, First Thessalonians 4, he's telling, talking about the catching away of the church, which we'll, we'll touch on again today. I got This session may go into two weeks, by the way, so... First Thessalonians 4, and, or 5, verse 1, But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall, they, not us, they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Verse 9. Now, this is in the context of the day of the Lord. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And this is following the mystery that's revealed in Revelation, uh, that's also First Corinthians 15 and First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, which is the catching away of the church. All right, so that leads us to where we are. Reviews complete tonight. I want to talk about, um, oh, I do have a Revelation review. So we've already covered this. That's okay. We've, these are all the points I hit, and you guys already had that. All right, so let's get into the, let's get into where we're going. So Jesus has returned. Jesus has returned. Verses seven and eight. Let's get back to Revelation chapter one. We talked about this last week in the keying on the second coming of Christ and uh, the day of the Lord. Verse seven. Behold, He cometh with clouds, semicolon, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. If I may add, verse 7 here, and if you know anything about the Bible, like an example might be Isaiah 9, 6, the, the, the uh, uh, punctuation is important. He comes in the clouds. He comes in the clouds. Yes, ma'am. 
Nope. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Okay, there you go. Write them all down real quick. And as you're writing all those down, I want to talk about verse 7. So, and punctuation. So, behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. And uh, But there's these, there's semicolon, um, or, uh, yeah, and, and the, not a colon, a semicolon after clouds, and there's a um, colon after pierced him, and then there's, um, uh, so that's divided up in three different sections. So if you go back to Isaiah 9, 6, you can remember that the punctuation is important. When Jesus comes for the church, we know from 1 Thessalonians 4 that he comes in the clouds. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But we also know that when he comes back in Revelation 19, he comes in the clouds. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, it's interesting, too, and I, brought, I pointed this out last week, that the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord, it really is like the first coming of Christ. The first advent, was it at his birth or was it at his death? Yes, right? The, ad, the first coming of Christ spanned from his incarnation all the way through his death. Really, 40 days after that, then he ascended. And that really composes the first coming of Christ. Well, the, the second coming of Christ starts with the catching away of the church. And it, and it, and it works through that through that, that seven-year time period of the tri- what we call the tribulation. It's Daniel's 70th week. And it culminates with him coming back in a literal 24-hour day at the second coming, which also represents a 24-hour day. What you looking for, honey? Handout? Oh. You got the wrong handout. That might actually that top sheet that you have goes with this. So the the one that you have have you, have you written on it? No, the one that is wrong. Okay, I'll put it with this when we're done, and uh, and then that will be a complete set. All right. So no, we're all we're square. All right. So. Uh, so Amy just had a bad top sheet. She got the top sheet of the last week's set. That's where that—that's the mystery sheet. And we wondered where it was at. I'm glad Amy has it. <laughs> I'll get it later, hon. We don't have to. There, nobody needs it right now. So, all right. So you guys got that up there? All right. So behold, he is his coming. So when you look here in verse 7, it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. And so this is something we need to get a hold of. And every eye shall see him. Clouds are associated with Jesus uh, all the way through the, uh, this part of the Bible. In Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. So we need to behold his coming. The first time the word behold is found in the Bible, it's associated with uh, the bounty that God has provided us. In Genesis one twenty nine, which these references are up there. I'll read this for time's sake. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, uh, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree which is, uh, and every tree, I'm sorry, in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. So the first thing that God asks anyone to behold is, is his provision. Behold, right? I've given you seed, I've given you trees, I've given you meat off the trees, which of course before the fall, um, they didn't eat physical meat, so their their actual sustenance was based off of vegetation. 
Um, and so uh, God says, behold, I'm taking care of your, of your, of your need, right? And so, uh, behold, he cometh with clouds. Behold this. The first mention in the New Testament is when the angel of the Lord reveals to Joseph that Jesus will be born unto Mary. Right? So it says in Matthew one twenty. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So no fear. Right? God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So one of the reasons we have the book of Revelation is, is not to have fear, but so we have no fear. Behold this. This should make us comforted. Because we have peace with God, right? Now, if you don't know Jesus and you're like I was before I was saved, well, yeah, you'll read Revelation and it'll hopefully strike fear through your heart so that you can get saved. Uh, but specifically, we need to behold the Lamb. In John one twenty nine, the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, right? The ministry starts with Jesus. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, which again is the provision for Israel, Right, He is their Messiah, and John the Baptist proclaims him, and he is their provision. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You can't miss it if you're Jewish because you understand the sacrifice for, for uh, sin in every, uh, from the law forward, even before the law, right? going back to, going back to uh, Adam and Eve and going back to Noah and predating Abraham. The, the sacrifice for sin has is, is always been a, a lamb or a, an animal sacrifice. In this case, the Lamb of God clearly pictures uh, the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God. All right, so uh, so we see God presented to, uh, pre- present his earth to man in Genesis one twenty nine. We see God present Christ to man in Matthew one twenty, And then we see God present the Lamb to mankind in John one twenty nine. So, what's going on here? Well, I'm glad you're asking. These are good questions. Behold the resurrected Jesus Christ, Revelation 1.5. Right? And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. This is what we're trying to get a hold of. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is who we're talking about. Behold, he cometh with clouds. So this is God presenting us with the resurrected Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness, the spirit of prophecy in verse 4. We've talked about that last week. The first begotten of the dead in verse 5. Uh, he is the prince of the kings of the earth in verse 5. He is he, him that loved us in verse 5. Him that washed us with his own blood in verse 5. Him that made us priests and kings unto God and his father uh, in verse 6. So we and John do not see him. The way people in the tribulation see him, by the way. He is not coming to judge the church. He's coming to reveal himself to the church because he is the husbandman and we're the bride. Okay. So that's why we this why this is given to the church. All right, so point B. Behold the clouds. Behold the clouds. So um the Lord led Israel, and we're, we, we've already covered this is where we actually are now in, in, in our study of Exodus, which has been put on pause through the, the holiday season. Uh, but Exodus thirteen twenty one, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud, right, to lead them 
the uh, the way <clears throat> lead the, uh, lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night so jesus led israel in a cloud right uh, he led them in a cloud. Jesus is uh, in a bright cloud as he is transfigured before his disciples. I want to click to Matthew 17, 5. Now, I'm going to run over these verses. So there's so much in these things that, like, if you're really serious, go home and look these verses up slowly and read over these and, and meditate on what I'm talking about. But I'm going to talk about them right now for time's sake. But Matthew 17, 5 is a, is a very important passage that deals with Jesus Christ's transfiguration before his apostles matthew or uh, uh, peter james and john right and he's transfigured before them this is before he even goes to the cross uh it's like whoa you know and peter opens his mouth and says should i build a tabernacle and, you know anyway it's kind of funny when you read it and uh and uh, and anyway it's like no and behold this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased all right so matthew seventeen five. when that occurs on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 5, the Bible says, While he yet spake, behold, and you're welcome to turn to this, by the way, for time, I mean, uh, and look at these if you, got, if you could get there. Uh, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So while Peter's asking dumb questions, God just interrupts him and says, Hey, Behold, get a hold of this, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter, you need to get a hold of this. James, you need to get a hold of this. John, you need to get a hold of this. And so John, by the way, John, this is before, this is 90 years goes by, well, not 90 years, 60 years goes by. And John again sees him in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12. And so uh, this isn't the first time that John's seen him in that state. All right, and by the way, you've seen him in that state too because we just read it together. But anyway, I digress. And I might add, you have a more sure word of prophecy that you do well to take heed to till the day star and the the, the day till the how's that go till the day. Till this, oh gosh, now I gotta. The day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. My brain went my short-circuited. All right. All right, so turn to Matthew 24 for time's sake. Let's, I'm going to have to, I'm not going to go too fast here because we need to look at these texts. So turn to Matthew 24:30. We were in Matthew 17 if you were turning there. Matthew chapter 24. And, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. I don't know what page this is on. But it is in the New Testament. 1159. Turn to page 1159. Thank you, brother. So Matthew 24 and verse 30. Now, if you know much about Matthew 24, this is a great. This is where Jesus Christ himself sets forth how Daniel's 70th week is laid out with the beginning of sorrows and the the great tribulation. So first three and a half years, the beginning of sorrows. Last three and a half years, um, the 1260 days is the great tribulation. And then you get down here to verse uh well, let's start in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, all right, so we know this is after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. 
And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they uh, shall see uh, the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All right, so so we see here um, that uh, that Jesus Christ is this is a sign. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Right, and notice how they mourn. It goes with what we saw. There's going to be people wailing. Uh, in that great and glorious day. So Matthew 24 breaks the tribulation down, as I mentioned, to these two parts, the beginning of sorrows, Matthew 24, 8, and the great tribulation, Matthew 24, 21. So the midway marker in these events is what is called the abomination of desolation, Matthew 24 and verse 15. It's spoken of by Daniel. It's also spoken of by Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 12, because Matthew is Matthew 24 is written to offer the kingdom to the Jews. At this time, there is no offering it to the church. The church is, is in a mystery. There, no one even knows that's, that's going to happen in the Gentile bride, even though it's in type in the Old Testament uh, through Ruth and, and, uh, and Vashti as a disobedient queen. Uh, but, uh, but you see here that uh, this is being offered to Israel. That's why the Jew, if you go to the very first uh, uh, part of that chapter, 24-1, um, it says, uh, well, verse 3, because it, now it's interesting because he's on the Mount of Olives. He's going to come back. Zechariah says he's going to come back and split the Mount of Olives at the second coming. So he's sitting on the Mount of Olives in verse 3, and he sat and he, and he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Now this is this is his response to his Jewish disciples at this time and uh he is that's yeah that's matthew 24 3 and he's telling him and he's giving him an outline of of what's coming at the end now how do they even know he's coming huh yeah so where did they find that information he told but yeah the prophets that's what i'm looking for Right, they know enough from Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah. All of this information is the, the coming of Jesus. Uh, they understood it. They were Bible believers. They understood that Jesus Christ was literally going to re- return to this earth and establish his kingdom. In their mind, right, throwing off that Babylonian system, which was at the time Rome, <laughs> which happens to have, you know, ten toes that go all the way to today. By the way, in all the discussion about I'm going to get off on a tangent here, but just just let me say something real quick. All right, we're going to push pause on my study for a second. And all the discussion about all the things that are going wrong, starting in the USA, left-right paradigm, blah, 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 and then globally, CFR, right, Council on Foreign Relations, and, and uh, that, who's that, Charles Schaub, Schraub, or anybody know who I'm talking about? Schwab. Not Charles Schwab. Klaus Schwab, thank you. Yeah, Cousins was Charles Schwab maybe, but Klaus Schwab, you know, if you know much about that stuff, for those of you guys that are into that, global governance, you know, blah, 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 EU stuff, um, not EU stuff, actually, UN stuff, I should say, rather, Bob, all of that, all right, you got all of that going on, all that's real, I mean, so I'm not, I'm not making fun or mocking that, all of that stuff's real, but what you don't see is what's going on with Rome. He's conveniently hidden. I was just mentioning that. You got all the Epstein stuff. 
oh my gosh, you can't get away from Epstein. Oh, what's going to come out? You know, the Christmas list this year's Epstein's list. You know, I mean, everybody can't wait to see how many perverts are in the government and business and all that. But guess what? Who's not listed? Yeah, nobody's gone up to Nebraska, you know, 15, 20 years ago to see why they were harvesting boys out of the boys' camp up in Omaha. Anybody talking about that? No, they just just under the rug. No, you haven't heard it. Yeah. And uh, and that whole thing, it wasn't one. The, the guy that got pinned for that was a politician. Guy went to prison over it, but but nobody. Rome got away. The Bank of Rome. I think the guy's name was. Forget his name. I got it. Mine. We'll get to it eventually. The guy that he laundered money for the for uh, from the Vatican Bank back in the eighties. All this all this cartel money. That's why that's why George Bush went and shut down Manuel Noriega in Panama. And that's why Manuel Noriega ran to the Vatican and went to the, and and got made peace and we put him in a prison in Florida. And that's why the guy that was broker in that deal he ends up hanging from a bridge in London. And the priest that was responsible, the cardinal, I should say rather, you know where he ends up? I saw this on 60 Minutes when I was lost. I was watching this stuff. Because I didn't go to church on Sunday night then. I just watched 60 Minutes. You know, tick, 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 tick. And so. He ends up down here in a in a uh, in a uh, in a retirement community in Arizona, living large, and they're in his face. That's back actually when reporters were reporters. So Al Wallace is like, "Hey, you know what's going on with you?" And I bet you can't even find that copy of Sixty Minutes anymore. Actually, they've scrubbed the name of that guy hanging from the bridge in London. I've looked for him. Back when I first taught that stuff, I don't know, twenty years ago, twenty nineteen years ago, whenever it was. I had references. I was looking it up on the Google, and I could find everything. If you go all these things I'm referencing, you go try to look for them today, they're scrubbed. You can't find them. That's right. It's history. My point is. What is my point? Keep your eye on Rome. Keep your eye on Rome. Because there's a lot going on there. Okay, I digress. So, uh, Matthew 24, 13 through 14 uh, this prophecy in the gospel of Matthew 24, 13 through 14. Look at this gospel. This is the gospel during the tribulation period after the church is gone. We'll get to that at the end in, in end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4. But, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolations, midpoint of the tribulation, spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. And let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back and take his clothes. Man, I tell you, this is amazing. So, Dave, this is another story. This is not anything to do with your notes, but this this account of what's coming in the tribulation and the opening of his mouth like a flood and all that. So, so I'm down. I'm, David Pierce has is, is led a student to Christ. Uh, I don't remember what nation he's from. He's down in Columbia. David's is down in David and Joan now live in Columbia, South Carolina, and he's still working international student ministry. He has this international student ministry at his house for Thanksgiving and. He leads this guy to Christ, and he's talking about, you know, what his studies are. And he's, studies, he's studying uh, geology or something like that. And, uh, and he's working on a project in Israel. He's like, oh, what project are you working on? Oh, we're doing flood control for this place called Petra. <laughs> and David's like, whoa, 
you know, the Bible just like flood control for a place called Petra. Dave's like, oh, I know about that place. It's in the Bible. You know, it's uh, amazing. So, um, yeah, there's some things coming. This, that dude may be part of helping the Jews live. Who knows? But we were fortunately, uh, we're not going to be here to see all that. Um, the church is removed from the earth. And, and so uh, the abomination that makes desolate will be three and a half years after or even more, possibly, after we're taken up. So um, not meaning it's three and a half years from the beginning of the tribulation, for sure, for sure. It's in the middle point. But and if there is space from the catching away until the beginning of the clock for the tribulation, it could be more. I'm not saying there is, but it's possible. There's nothing saying that couldn't happen. And if, and I know there's some, and I want to mention this tonight. Um, some say, well, the church is going to be in the tribulation, at least to the middle point, or the church is in the tribulation till the very end. I got to tell you something, beloved. If the church is in the tribulation at all, you better kiss salvation by grace goodbye. Because the gospel of the tribulation is listed right there in verses 13 and 14. Endure to the end and be saved. That's it. The gospel of grace that we preach is not offered in the tribulation period. It is a different dispensation. It's a different The way that God deals with man in this dispensation is different. It's the Old Testament dispensation is what it is with Moses. And uh, that's what the church isn't there. Else, uh, you're in jeopardy every hour, which is not the promises of the New Testament. That's not the gospel of grace. There's a different gospel. Okay, so that's really important to comprehend uh, because there, there are many out there, uh, especially today, there are a lot of people primarily coming from a uh, covenant theology perspective that don't grasp how the Bible is rightly divided, and they will put the church and they will conflate all of these things to the church because they believe they are the Israel of God. Once you do that, you get in a lot of trouble because you don't know when it's Israel and when it's you. So God in his wisdom and providence and grace makes it very clear in the introduction. This is to the churches, the seven churches, <laughs> the seven churches, and then conveniently takes us out as he talks about the tribulation from chapter 4 chapter 19 so that you can't miss it and you say yeah but and if well but and if if see yeah people have always it is written to churches and churches have suffered tribulation the churches in in india right now are suffering tribulation i mean tribulation is part of yea all that live godly in christ jesus shall suffer persecution and there are tribulations but it is not daniel's 70th week so these are I'll get, I'll talk more about this in the future, but I just want to kind of let let you know that up front. Um, okay, so as you look at Mark chapter thirteen, go over to Matthew, Mark, go to chapter thirteen, and look down here in verse twenty two, Mark thirteen twenty two. The Bible says here, for a false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs, and I haven't been hitting this very hard but if you go through everything we're talking about sign 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 who needs signs jews require a sign first corinthians 1 jews require a sign greeks seek after wisdom all right for for false christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce if it were possible even the elect 
But take heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And so the the Lord's being very specific here. After the tribulation, uh, and the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Notice again it says they. He doesn't say ye. Right? Because what those apostles are going to be with them. We're going to be with them. Right? So this is talking about those that are on the earth at that time at the end of the tribulation period. So these are important things to, to kind of comprehend. Verse 27, and, and, uh, and then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds the uttermost, uh, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So the image we see of Jesus coming in the clouds at the end of the tribulation is very different from uh, the coming of Christ to receive us in the clouds in First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen, and the promise of the change recorded in First Corinthians fifteen fifty one through fifty eight. Uh, the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, and last week we read First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen. You can go back and look at that again, where we're caught up and we're looking forward to seeing our relatives. And there's nobody. It's not about fear and trembling and and Jesus and every eye on the earth seeing him. It's actually done quickly in a twinkling of an eye. And it's over, and we're back. We're going to heaven. He never puts his foot on the ground. That is distinctly different from what you see in Revelation chapter 19 and the other uh, the four po- uh, four watermarks that I showed you last week uh, in our text last week. So the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ has been prophesied this way since the book of Daniel 9:27. This way being, he's coming back to literally take over the planet. To summarize it. And so uh, keep this prophecy in mind, Daniel 9.27, as you look at the layout of the book of Revelation. Uh, One of the major distinctions between the rapture, uh, which in the Bible is called the catching away of the church. If you try to Google or look up, don't Google rapture. Um, But if you try to to reference rapture in your Bible program, you're going to not find it. So you're going to, I remember I went to Monday night, we used to have Monday night Bible study when I was a baby Christian. And I was at this Monday night Bible study and this preacher's just going on and on about the rapture, did a great job. I was all fired up about it. So what did I do? I went home, got out. Back then you had to get out of concordance. So I get out my concordance to look up the word rapture. It's not in there. I'm like, I'm in a cult. Oh, no. You know. My friends were right. I'm in a cult. Uh, it's the it's the Latin word rapturo. It's it's actually the word catching away. So the Greek word is is um, it's harpazo. I mean, in Greek, it's uh, rap, it's rapturo in Latin, and that's where we get the word rapture. So. Uh, so we just use the word rapture. It's not wrong uh, to call it the rapture, but I'm I'm specific about it because I, I, a lot of times it's just so people don't. Since I've been a pastor here, and because things are getting dicey out out there, I get more specific. Daniel's seventieth week, so people don't miss it. The tribulation period, whether you because there's people nitpicking. Well, the beginning of sorrows isn't the tribulation. It's just talking about the last three and a half years. So the church can go through the first three and a half years. Well, you know what? You're caught in a conundrum there because Matthew chapter 24, 13 tells you there's a different gospel going on. During Daniel's Daniel's 70th week, written to Jewish 
Israeli people, and it's about what God's doing to restore them. Read the prophecy of Romans chapter 9 through 11, which is a prophecy of how God restores his people Israel. Right? So all of this stuff is, is like laid out for us. Yes, sir. Yeah. More than one rapture? Yeah, there's tribulation raptures too. Yeah. Which is understandably confusing to some. Like, so I, I'm gracious, you know, as people are trying to sort all that out. I'm not as gracious with people who ought to know better. So, yeah, because there are catching aways. Uh, that uh, There's a resurrections, the two witnesses, uh, the 144,000. So there are raptures even in the tribulation period. So... Um, and catching away his resurrection. So, yeah, you can you can kind of see all that and go, whoa, you know, there's a rapture, there's a rapture. Maybe we're in one of those. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give people grace on that. Uh, but people that ought to know better ought to know better. But anyway, moving on. So the image we see of Jesus coming in the clouds is is different when you look at the catching away of the church versus him coming back at the second coming at the end of the tribulation period. And so uh, one of the major distinctions between the rapture, the catching away is what is called in the New Testament uh, English. So if you look that up, that's, it's different than, I mean, you can find it there. Um, and you'll find it in 1 Thessalonians 3 uh, or 4, 13 through 18, 1, Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 58, which I have up there, I think. I don't have up there. So on your note sheets, if you're looking for the rapture, quick reference, you might put that in your notes. Uh, look up First Corinthians 15:51 through 58, which is the resurrection chapter, and it deals with how we're changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, then Christ shall rise, and um, and then uh, you will also want to have First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18, and put those two together, and you got a pretty good look at what will happen at the catching away of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And that's in last week's notes as well. All right. <clears throat> so I'm kind of going off on some side notes here, but it's probably good just to be clear. Okay, so let me just say a few more things. Um, in the Old Testament, there there's a difference. Uh, there are two different pictures painted of the Messiah. Uh, one is suffering in Psalm 22, 6 through 8, and uh, Psalm 22, 11 through 18. If you ever... You ever notice that Psalm 22 is like a blow by blow of Jesus crucifixion. And then all of a sudden at the end, it's victorious. And now you're cruising through Psalm chapter 23. Jesus is having a having a meal in the presence of his enemies, his cups overflowing, you know. And then you get to Psalm 23 or 24, I should say, rather, which is, man, I mean, it's glorious. Okay, and then you got Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 2 through 10. You also see Jesus as a suffering Messiah. Right. And then and and then you see him also. As the reigning king in Psalms 2, uh, 6 through 12, and, and really the book of Zechariah, as I mentioned earlier. So sometimes a single verse of prophecy shows you both, like Isaiah 6, 61, 2, only half of which is Jesus, uh, half of which uh, Jesus uh, read and said and fulfilled in Luke 4, 18 through 21. So Jesus would just stop, you know, and it's acceptable year of the Lord, and then he just stops the verse because he's waiting to see how the response is going to go with, from the nation of Israel. Uh, and he didn't, and, and that's what Peter was waiting on. He's like, man, I, I'm ready for him to, uh, he's here now, but I'm ready for him to come back in glory, right? And uh, even though he told him clearly of his death, burial, and resurrection before he ever died, you know, Peter was just blinded by his glorious return. I mean, that's all he could think of is getting these Romans out of here. Let's start a kingdom. Let's go, you know. And uh, he just couldn't see it all. 
Sometimes a single verse is a prophecy of both. Um, and so uh, in Luke 40, 4, 18 through 21, uh, Jesus does that. Those who denied half of the those who denied half the scripture, or expected only one set of verses, or expected all scriptures to be fulfilled at one singular moment in time, they made a big mistake. So as we study these scriptures from the Holy Bible, we see that uh, they predicted two separate comings of the Messiah, which is why I pointed out even in Revelation one and verse uh, seven, behold, he cometh with clouds. Semicolon. Yes, he does. <laughs> in Revelation, in First Thessalonians four and Revelation nineteen, which one do you want to take? Right, he comes with clouds. After the at the end of the tribulation, when he comes, every eye is going to see him, but not in Revel in First Thessalonians four, not in First Corinthians fifteen. So there's distinctions there. So as we study the the Holy Bible, we see uh, they predicted two separate comings of the Messiah. The first coming is a suffering Messiah, and the second coming, getting back to his first coming as still future as the reigning king. And so in the New Testament, considering the second advent, we again, which is second coming, we have two pictures to consider, and they don't look the same. So as before, these two different descriptions of Jesus coming, uh, Jesus coming point to two separate events. The first event we call the rapture, the catching away of the church. The second event we call the return uh, with his saints, or the glorious appearing, or the second coming oftentimes is what we, what we call it around here. Uh, or the return after the tribulation. There are several ways we define that. but um, uh, And so it's the re-return, so to speak, of the Lord Jesus. Uh, so, so the first advent of Christ was when he appeared in the flesh and died on the cross and appeared to the disciples several times after his resurrection. I just I clarified that earlier, right? So his first coming was from his incarnation through his ascension. That's the first coming of Christ. Um, <clears throat> so just as all those appearings are the first advent, so too is the appearing at the, the rapture, the catching away of the church, and the appearing seven years later um, are both part of the second advent or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it does get a little confusing, especially if you're new to the faith. I mean, I, I totally get that. So the entire advent or the entire second coming is all part of the day of the Lord, which starts with the rapture. The fact that, that Jesus appears at Edom and Basra and Megiddo and the Armageddon and also on the Mount of Olives does not indicate two or three or four other comings after the tribulation. There's one rapture and there's one second coming. And then, of course, he's on a mission to establish his kingdom from there. And that's where he's at King's Highway. He's moving on into Jerusalem. So the rapture and the resurrection uh, occurs before the seven-year Tribulation, the catching away of the church. The return with the saints occurs seven years later at the end of the Great Tribulation at Armageddon. So list, uh, so I'm going to give you a list. I don't think I have them on the screen, and I don't have them in your notes, do I? Let me just give you some, some things to consider uh, about this, and I'm going to read these off. You can find these. these, are, these this list is, is everywhere, but... Let me give you some examples here that you can just consider the contrast between the catching away of the church and the return at the second coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation. First is, is Jesus is coming for his church or his bride to take us up to heaven before the, the, the tribulation. You can find that in Luke 21, 36, John 14, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, and several references. Um, 
But at the second coming, at the end of the tribulation, Jesus is coming with his church, with his bride down from heaven after the tribulation. I mean, like literally, we're talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. The clearest example is Revelation chapter 19. We're literally talking about the marriage of the Lamb. And so um, and so that is a distinction. Uh, at the catching away of the church, obviously, we're caught up in the air very clearly in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Uh, and... Uh, believers only there's nobody else being caught up it's exclusively born again believers whereas the second coming jesus's feet touch the earth according to zechariah 14 4 it's a literal return to the planet revelation 19 11 through 21 and he brings war before he brings the peace before you get to the thousand year rule of reign of christ he brings war i mean that ain't got nothing to do with what you see in first thessalonians 4 or first corinthians 15 for that matter and every eye will see him, including unbelievers. Revelation 1-7. Zechariah 12-10, Matthew 24-30. We already saw that. Uh, Luke 3-6, John 19-37. So those are, there's those other references. Another thing is Christ is, uh, Christians are taken first. And you, you remember the, uh, the book Left Behind and that series Left Behind, right? There are people left behind and the door is shut. Revelation 4-1, we'll get to that. And there's and that gospel changes when the when the spirit goes when we're up <clears throat> the dynamics change a strong delusion is allowed by the Lord and signs and wonders and they're lying so in the at the return of the Christ at the return at the second coming at the end of the tribulation the wicked are taken first. According to Matthew thirteen twenty eight through thirty, the righteous uh, tribulation saints are left to populate the millennium. The wicked get taken out. There's a big harvest coming. Uh, I'll get to that later. But there's a harvest in the tribulation period, and it's not a catching away harvest. It's a harvest of souls. A lot of those souls are going to be damned to, to, for hell for all of eternity. God's going to be taking them out and uh, and judging them, and then He sets up His kingdom with Israel. Completely different. Uh, the purpose uh, of the rapture, the catching away of the church, is to present the church to himself and to the Father in heaven. And we go through the judgment seat of Christ. So there's two, the judgment is happening for the church at the same, simultaneously with the judgment going on on earth. I'll talk about that when we get further in the book of Revelation. So it's not that the church isn't involved in the tribulation. Yeah, we're, we're being judged at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. And so uh, preparing to come back. A lot of what we're doing now actually is, is actually preparing. So eternity began for me and you the day you get saved. Like I'm not going to – there really is no fear in death. I mean I know we fear it as humans, but really there is no, – I'm eternal, you're eternal. If you're born again, you're eternal. It's over. I mean I got, the only reason God gives me a carcass to live in right now is just to present the gospel. But it's already done. You know, so it's over. I'm, when I get taken out of here – I'll be just for the things done in the body, both this body and this body, whether they be good or bad. And and then I will be fitted and outfitted for war because I'm coming back to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. And we collectively are the bride of Christ. And so, yes, sir. Yeah. Once we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. Absolutely. And so that's what that's the hope. That's the blessed hope. Um, 
And Jesus is, if they're catching away, he wants to present the church to himself, a glorious church without spot, right? At the, at the uh, second coming, he's coming to execute judgment on earth and set up his kingdom on the earth, uh, which is distinctly different. And uh, Zechariah 14, Jude talks about it, Revelation 19. Again, uh, the rapture, the catching away is to cast Satan out of heaven and down to, uh, <clears throat> well, let me back up on that. I mean, that doesn't happen until Revelation 12. Uh, but as we go up, Satan will eventually come down. Uh, he's, the Antichrist rises, Revelation chapter 6, but then he's empowered. He's, he's, he's literally becomes uh, empowered by Satan at the midpoint of the tribulation. So uh, we go up. Satan has an open window. And then you begin that seven-year period. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and he talks about that. How a lot of people who, re- who wouldn't receive the love of the truth are going to be beguiled by the Antichrist. But at the second coming, the purpose is to cast down Satan, not to give him space to deceive, uh, but to, to stop his deception and judge him. Uh, and so... At the catching away of the church, and this is, is really really clear in First Corinthians fifteen fifty two, it happens in the twinkling of an eye. It has nothing to do with war, and it can happen any time. Paul was expecting it in the first century; um, he was expecting it any time. Um, whereas the second coming is is a, in essence a slower coming. Uh, it's, it's based around war locations from Edom to Basra to Megiddo to Armageddon. To Jerusalem, there's a there is a, a literally a campaign, a military campaign, uh, when Jesus returns at the second coming. In Zechariah chapter 12, he'll split the Mount of Olives, and he will he'll he'll get everything straight. Blood's going to run bridal deep through Armageddon. You know the whole thing. It's gonna it's gonna it's all laid out for us. The catching away of the church Christians are changed and get spiritual bodies uh, to go to heaven, and they don't marry. Yet they're immortal. Right? So, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. If you're paying attention on Sunday mornings, I'm pretty clear. There's only three people called sons of God other than Jesus, the Son of God. But there's sons of God being angels, sons of God being Christians, and there's um, Israel as a, as a group, as a whole unit, is called Son of God in, in uh, Exodus. So, um, so that's, that is... So we get a, we get these bodies uh, that are supernatural. Our reproductive capacity is done, physically speaking. And really, even I mean, our, our reproductive spiritual ability is is now. I mean, that's what we focus on. Even if you have physical children, what's your goal? To making sure they get saved, right? What good is it to have physical children if they don't become spiritual children, right? So that's the that's the main thing in this dispensation. People in the, the tribu- after the second coming, people will populate the earth during the millennium, and they'll still die. They'll have children, and people will have physical bodies, physical reproduction, and go on forever and ever. And that's part of the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know some of these concepts are like, but just you kind of need to hear them, let them sink in. In the catching away of the church, Jesus descends with a shout um, <clears throat> and the trumpet. First Thessalonians 4:16. You see the same this same imagery in first in Revelation chapter two that we'll talk about next week, maybe in two weeks from now. Um, and there's no shout mentioned in Revelation 19:11 or 21. And uh, the catching away of the church, uh, resurrection. T- and by the way, I believe that trumpet probably is a silver trumpet. 
So some of my brothers, and I wouldn't split here. If you hear someone teaching on shofar trumpets, don't get twisted in the axle. Because I think, some things I know, some things I think. So this is what I think, all right? I don't know. So I'll tell you that right now. I know there's a trumpet, right? So that's what I'm listening for is a trumpet. I suspect that the trumpet that we hear will be silver trumpets because in the Old Testament, silver trumpets, what do silver trumpets do? I mean, yeah, they called that, they called the congregation, directed them in war. I think the church is going to hear silver trumpets. I, th- I do think Israel, I think that all the study on the shofar trumpet is fascinating, and I believe it does work on the feast cycle, and I do think there will be shofar trumpets blowing. I think I'm all down with the shofar study, by the way. I think it's excellent, but I think it's for Israel. Two different sets of trumpets because the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. We're a military unit at this point. And the, interesting enough, you know, you listen to these songs on Caleb. What's everybody doing? They're feminizing the church. Everything's all gushy and makes you want to vomit, you know, just like Laodicea. But if you go back to the Philadelphian church age, what do we have? Yeah, rise up, Christian soldiers, marching as the war. And, of course, some of the, the doctrine wasn't all together. What's that one about the grapes of wrath and all that in the Civil War era? Yeah, but anyway, okay, so that's a little bit, you know, taking in the millennium. But anyhow, so at the the end of the day, though, there's a bunch of rise-up Christian soldiers marching as the war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Lots of militant church stuff going on. That's not just because we were fighting wars and and Rome was trying to take over the, the country, although that had something to do with it. Some of it was just because people understood the Bible. I mean, the church, we're easy now. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're like Paul. We're not going to cause Agrippa any problems. We're not going to cause Nero any problems other than all the crazy people that believe Jesus is alive and, 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 uh, and lives in them, you know, and we serve him first. That's the biggest threat to, to any government. Um, but other than that, other than the gospel of grace, right, we're not preaching a gospel of hate. We're not preaching a gospel of take over the planet or Cass County. You know, Heartland needs to be the hub of Cass County and we're the Israel of God, and, and if you're going to get saved, you've got to go to this church. That's heresy. Are you kidding me? That's not what we're teaching or preaching. We're teaching the gospel of grace in the New Testament. We, we're easy to get along with. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're warning. You know what ambassadors do? You know what we should have done when that ambassador, who was that, in, uh, a few years ago? Uh, they had a movie about it. Libya? We've got an ambassador over there. Yeah, Ambassador Stevens. So what should happen when you kill an ambassador is you should bring hell. That's what you should do because the ambassadors are just there to represent, right? And the authority comes from somewhere else. So they're just an ambassador. So we're just an ambassador right now. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're not bringing a sword, right? But, but there will be a sword coming. So what are we offering? We're offering terms. That's what Christians do today for the last 2,000 years. We just give people terms. Okay, now this is the terms. Romans says you can bow your knee now or you will bow your knee later. Philippians says you should bow your knee now and you should confess. So which option is it? You should bow now. But if you don't, Romans over here says you will bow. Same passage taken from Isaiah. And the Holy Ghost just kind of puts a little nuance there because today we're asking people nicely, would you bow your knee and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Because we've already read the end of this story in Revelation. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're going to be caught up. And when we come back, guess what we're bringing? The sword. And because we love you with the love of Christ, we want to give you every opportunity to escape the wrath of God. 
So please trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because someday he's going to take the troops out and get us ready, muster us, and we're coming back. And when we come back, you're going to squash like a grape. And nobody, we don't, my dad used to say this. Uh, his mother died of cancer. He died of cancer. And uh, watching his mother just back in the early 70s, they didn't have all the chemo, right? My grandma would get in bed and in the hospital bed. She pushed herself up and then her, her leg breaks. You know, she's just in incredible pain. And he always said, uh, I never wish cancer on my worst enemy. I don't wish cancer on my worst I have. I would have mercy if <laughs> my daddy had some enemies. So he, wouldn't, he didn't wish cancer on his worst enemy. Well, you know what? That's, that's, that's us. We don't, we, don't wish, we don't wish the lake of fire on anybody. Right? We want that. We are, I don't deserve salvation. I, don't, I should have been in the lake of fire. Why should anyone else deserve it? Right? I, I deserve it, and I don't have it, so I want everyone else to get, escape it. I mean, good night. God's grace is so awesome. It's amazing. It's the gospel of grace. It's not the gospel being preached in the tribulation period at all, by the way. So moving on. I've got to get done because time's up. Well, time's up. So let me quickly run through this, and then we'll pick up, we'll pick up these notes uh, next week where I'm at. But let me run through these, this contrast here. So at the at catching away of the church, right, it's like a, it's quick, uh, whereas the second coming occurs at the end of seven-year tribulation, exactly as predicted, to the day. Three and a half years, two, 1,260 days, the abomination of desolations, and then 1,260 days, the second coming. I mean, you can't miss it. It'll be on the feast cycle. It'll be on the shofar trumpets. It'll all go down right on time, uh, where ours is just in an instant, a twinkling of an eye, and it's imminent. It's like it's likened to the abduction of a bride during a Jewish wedding and the union of the bride and the groom, which occurs at the start of the seven-day uh, bridal week, Genesis 29, 22 through 28. There you see that, Judges 14, 1 through 8. Whereas the second coming is likened to a marriage feast that occurs after the seven-day bridal week is over. Notice seven days. There's something to that. We get taken up, and then we have a marriage feast after the second coming. And uh, Luke twelve thirty six, the dead in Christ will rise together, and then the living will be changed at the catching away of the church. They'll have new bodies. We'll leave earth with Jesus, and we'll see our relatives, those that have gone before. Christians return with Jesus in already resurrected bodies, riding on white horses. Totally different. Revelation nineteen, Jesus returns as Savior, uh, to, as Savior, and He takes us away from the wrath, uh, as we already saw in First uh, Thessalonians one ten and five nine. Whereas Jesus returns on a white horse, full of wrath. Uh, in Revelation 19:11, the church, <clears throat> the the for the church, uh, oh, it's the catching away is only for those in Christ, and uh, in Revelation uh, at the second coming, uh, it's for the redeemed of Israel and Gentiles, because the church isn't. Uh, we're in a whole different state. Our inheritance is already. That's a, one of the biggest things, by the way, that to to help sort your mind out on this is inheritance. Inheritance. We do not inherit the earth. Matthew 5 is not for the church. What is our inheritance? Heaven and Jesus. Jesus is our inheritance. He is our rest. We're not looking for a millennial rest. We're looking for Jesus. He is our rest. Uh, so the millennium's for the Jews and uh, for the Gentile nations that, will, that he will reign. And then lastly, and I'll be done, you know, the catching away of the church is, is like the days of Noah and Lot, which, which show deliverance and salvation. I should say Enoch, really. Uh, from judgment. And by the way, Enoch was could have been persecuted. So I'm not saying that the church is like 
Some people, this is a misnomer. Uh, I got to say this too. Some people think the church is like not going to face any tribulation at all. And I don't mean tribulation period. I'm not talking about Daniel's 70th week. The church has been facing difficulties and persecutions and tribulation for 2,000 years. So that, that doesn't, just because there's a catching way of the church doesn't mean, you know, Hitler won't rise and chase us around and try to kill you. I mean, you know, that's possible. But that doesn't mean it's the tribulation, period. That's why Paul had to write to the Thessalonians because from the moment that church was born, they were being persecuted and there was tribulation in Thessalonica. Paul had to flee, for goodness sake. He had to go to Berea, right? He had to run around. He had to escape. Paul had to leave town because the persecution was so intense. So persecution and tribulation, again, it accompanies the church throughout the last 2,000 years. So don't, don't misunderstand that. And uh, that's why Paul had to say, hey, guys, I know that you're under tribulation right now, but it isn't the tribulation. That's why he wrote Second Thessalonians, to help straighten them out on that. Whereas in the second coming, the plagues of Egypt that we taught about, taught on Sunday mornings, and I've already laid that, they're, they can't, they're coming back. you got two witnesses, who I believe to be Moses and Elijah, and Moses' plagues are coming. And so uh, they're mirrored in Revelation, pouring out, and I already taught that on Sunday mornings, right? So these things are coming. Uh, and so I'm going to pause right there because time is up. We'll pick this up next week. And uh, let me pause. I know we're over time, but just a moment. Are there any just burning questions you just got to have answered before we leave? All right. We'll come back next week, and uh, we'll keep working through this stuff. And uh, I'll try better to stay on note so we don't get off on my tangents, and then we'll get our material done faster. All right. So let's have a word of prayer. Yes, sir. Oh, I'm glad you said that. I, that's why you're here. I forgot. Yeah, so after we're done, um, I need people, men primarily. And we're going to, how many? Are, I'm trying to remember where are we. What, uh, Saturday. So you're doing it in the other rooms, not in here. Oh, we got to move these and make aisles. Okay, so we got to make aisles like a wedding. We got to make a center aisle, and do you you know the configuration on how to do all that? Okay, um, so we got a wedding configuration that we use. Steve knows what it is, and so we just need folks to help. And so Steve will quarterback that. And uh, I think you could use more than a couple people, couldn't you? Well, I got Larry and uh, Kevin already, so a couple more helps. Yeah, could you use more than a couple sure. more? Okay, so uh, just make sure you listen to Steve. And do what he says, and so it makes it easier. I don't, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious because if there's a lot of people helping, that's great. But just do what he says exactly, so that it's not, so we don't have problems. All right. So uh, let's stand together, and uh, let's get ready to leave. Uh, thank you. And please, if you can stay and help with that, that would be marvelous. And uh, we'll get this set up. Be praying for this wedding coming up. This, this is something that uh, is really cool. Um, Friday wedding rehearsal. Amy, you need to know three o'clock. I got to be here. I get to be here. Um, so the, the groom, this is a cool story. So the groom and the bride, they're, they're getting married. They've been cohabiting. They came in for, they got saved. They want to get baptized. I'm just like, hold the, oh, 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 